realized a number of years ago, probably not soon enough, that often when we fall short or fail at something, it's not over the big things, but it's the little things that we weren't looking at. We, we often fall short by missing the little things and always focusing on the big things, and so we fall short. And that's true in relationships, marriages, uh, ministry. It's the little things you overlook that tend to matter the most in your success. Now, what I'm going to talk to you about today is not a little thing, but I don't think that we realize the enormity of the importance of a clear conscience. And we've been talking about survival gear. It's been a great series. I've loved this series. Um, We talked about the, the... tools that God has given us in our survival gear because we're in a wicked and a dark world. Uh, This place is not our home. It's like a hotel. We're checked in for a little while, but one day we're checking out and we're going to go to our permanent home whose builder and maker is God. And so, but while we're here, we're in enemy territory. It isn't, we're swimming upstream, all of us. If you're walking with Jesus, you're not going along with the flow of the world, you're going against it all the time, the world, the flesh, and the devil. And it's a daily battle. It, it can wear you down, wear you out. That's why you've got to understand what God has given you in your survival gear because God has not left us in this battle alone. So we saw the importance of daily time in the word. I know that's rudimentary, elementary, but oh my, how crucial it is. Then we talked about daily time in prayer. You've got to be in you got to be in contact with the Lord. And then we talked about the importance of regular church attendance. Of course, you're here. I'm talking to the choir. But you can't begin, you can't forsake the assembling of yourselves together as some are in the habit of doing. And then today I want to talk to you about the final tool of a clear conscience. How important is it? Well, I want to look at 1 Timothy 1, 18. And let's just read what Paul had to say about the importance of a clear conscience. We're only going to read two verses. Now... He's talking to his son in the faith, Timothy. He said, this charge I commit to you. Now, church, if it's a charge, it's not a suggestion. Right? It's a command. We've been charged. He said, son, Timothy, according to the prophecies previously made concerning you, that by them you may, read the next four words with me, wage the good warfare. Now, how do we wage a good warfare? He's about to tell us. Having faith and a clear conscience. Now, notice what he says about it. Which some, having rejected concerning the faith, have suffered shipwreck. Paul says, I know people who used to walk with God. And we can think of Demas. We can think of Alexander the coppersmith, people who he named by name. They used to walk with God, but they decided that, that a clear conscience was not all that big a deal. And so they... They left it, and then he said they shipwrecked in their faith. They shipwrecked. Now, I don't want to shipwreck, and I know you don't want to shipwreck. I like winning. I don't like losing. Amen? And and I want to reach, I want to break that finish tape uh, running full speed. I don't want to drag across it, but I sure don't want to shipwreck. So he said to avoid shipwreck, spiritual shipwreck, we need to learn to maintain a clear conscience. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the tool that you've given us to live victoriously in this world of a clear 
conscience. Now, Lord, I just thank you that you're the author of this word, that we are looking at the very word of God. This is not the word of Jeff, the word of men, it's the word of God. And Lord, I pray that you will honor your word today, bless it to our hearts, and I thank you, Lord, for speaking to us and establishing us and rooting us and grounding us in the love of God and in the word of God, and that we will grow successful in the faith. Now, would you breathe a prayer, church, and say, Lord, speak to me. I receive this word as the very word of God in Jesus' name. Amen. Turn to your neighbor and tell him, this is going to be good today. This is going to be good today. I believe that. I know that. Amen. Now, let me just give you a real simple definition of a clear conscience. Here's what a clear conscience, this is what I mean. A clear conscience is the state of being guilt-free through the forgiveness made available by the blood of Jesus. A clear conscience is not a numbed conscience. You know, a lot of people get guilty. I believe this is how people become drug addicts and alcoholics. They, because you're, you're full of guilt and you don't know what to do with it, and so you numb it. But listen, that's not what you do with guilt. The only way to get rid of guilt is to really get rid of it. And the only thing that can really get rid of it is the shed blood of Jesus Christ. And so here's the deal. Let me say it again. A clear conscience is the state of being guilt-free, guilt-free through the forgiveness made available by the blood of Jesus. And when you're guilt-free by the blood, that's when you spread your spiritual wings and that's when you really begin to fly. And that's what true freedom is. You will know the truth and the truth will make you free. When you are forgiven, it's like a backpack of bricks have fallen off your shoulder and you feel so much lighter and you feel like, uh, wow, how did I not find this so much sooner? That's why I was so thrilled to see eight people or more in the early service come to Jesus, get saved. I mean, tears coming down their faces, giving their hearts to the Lord. They just kept on coming. And it's the greatest miracle in the world. There's no better one. Now, many times we fail to understand the direct link between a clear conscience and spiritual victory. Now, I like winning. I'm going to just confess to you today, I'm competitive. I've tried crucifying it. Sometimes I crucify it, but still when somebody passes me on the highway, (laughs) something in me just says, wait a minute. I don't know about that. And (laughs) how many times I've had somebody with me say, are you racing them? No, I'm not racing them. I'm competitive by nature. I grew up competitive, playing sports and all that, racquetball, ping pong. I won tournaments in ping pong. I, I was very competitive. But, but I don't like losing spiritually. I like winning. And you know what? We're not supposed to be losing. We're not supposed to be losing in our battle with the world, flesh, and the devil. We're supposed to be winning. Uh, doesn't your Bible say we're more than conquerors through him that loved us? Doesn't your Bible say he always leads us in triumph in Jesus Christ? Doesn't your Bible say greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world? Amen? And doesn't your Bible say this is the faith that is over, or this is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith? Isn't that what it says? And so we're to be winners. But see, if we're going to win spiritually, being in enemy territory like we are, we've got to know what God has given us to win, the tools of our weaponry, the, the weapons of our weaponry. We've got to know. And, and I think sometimes we don't understand the link between spiritual victory and maintaining a clear conscience where we're guilt-free 
by the forgiveness of the blood of Jesus Christ. So I just want to dive right in, and I'm going to talk to you about this. First of all, let me just expand on that a clear conscience is vital to spiritual victory. A clear conscience. Keeping things right with God. Keeping the channels clear. Knowing that it's good with you and him. Keeping that vertical line open. Paul advised that keeping your conscience clear is crucial to waging a good warfare. This is the way Paul lived his own life. I want you to listen to what he considered a front burner issue. You know, there's back burner issues. There's things that we kind of put back there, but then there's things that are all important to us, and they're on the front burner of our life. A clear conscience was on the front burner of Paul's life. He said, I also do my best, and I strive. That means I work, I reach, I struggle, I press. I'm always aware to have a clear conscience before God and before men. He said, I want to keep it clear vertically with God, and I want to keep things clear horizontally with people. I want a clear conscience. I don't want anybody to be able to come up to me and say, you really did wrong me. And if, and if somebody comes up to me and says, you wrong me and they're right and I wrong them, I will immediately get it right because I want a clear conscience this way and I want a clear conscience this way. Can I have an amen today? Amen. All right. So Paul said, it's a front burner thing for me. I'm going to keep a clear conscience. It's crucial to me. Now, the reason a clear conscience was so important to Paul and it's so important to our own spiritual victory is this right here. Here's why it matters. When your fellowship with God has been broken through sin, you experience two things immediately, alienation and condemnation. Now, now how many of you can say, Pastor Jeff, I've sinned at least once this year? Ooh, the rest of you, some of you are lying right now. You're sinning right now. How many of you, come on, how many of you can say, I've sinned at least once this year? Now, I could get really real and say, how many of you sinned as late as yesterday? Or how about on the way to church this morning? See, there's three ways we sin. We sin in our thoughts, we sin with our words, we sin with our actions. And we all do it. We all do it. But see, as soon as we sin, particularly if it's a, if it's a real step into something we know is wrong and, and we've sinned, two things immediately happen. You can't get away from it because of the way that we're wired. Alienation, now I'm talking about vertically with God, alienation and condemnation. When your fellowship with God has been broken, when a Christian sins, let me just help some of you here. When a Christian sins, he doesn't lose his salvation. He loses his fellowship. You don't lose your salvation. Once you're saved, how can you become unborn again? You can't. But catch this now. We do experience broken fellowship. When we sin, we don't lose ourselves. God doesn't say, well, you're no longer my child. But immediately there is broken fellowship between us and God. We lose fellowship vertically, immediately. And this, this truth goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden. You go all the way back to Adam and Eve and the very first sin that ever entered the human race. And here's what it says. When, it, when Adam sinned, he immediately experienced alienation from God broken fellowship. It says Adam and Eve, once they had sinned, 
heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. Isn't that cool? That's the way they lived with God back then. They're, they're, they're in the garden, this beautiful garden of Eden. They're in this garden, and all of a sudden they hear God walking their way. Wouldn't that be cool? And it says that he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. Now, normally, this would have brought excitement and joy and anticipation. Oh, boy, God's coming to fellowship with us. All right, here comes God. We're going to have a great time just getting down with God and talking to God and spending time with God and being with God. But that wasn't the effect that his visit had at all once they had sinned. It says Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Isn't that interesting what sin does? It immediately makes you want to hide. Now, today, I came to church to get in the presence of God. And and when you're right with him, that's what you want to do. You want to get in the presence of God. But when you're not right with him, you want to get away from the presence of God. It's alienation. It's what sin does. It does it every time. They never, before this, tried to hide from God. They always welcomed him. All right. Hello, Father. Hello, children. How are things in the garden? But now they're hiding. They're hiding behind the trees in the garden. They're hiding as if you can hide from God. <laughs> it's kind of like, yoo I see you back there. The vital fellowship between them and their maker was broken. Now I want you to say something with me. This is a universal truth. It's true every time. Say it three words. Sin ruins everything. Now it ruins everything. Sin ruins everything. Sin is a ruiner. It ruins everything. When, we, when you really get out there and you really mess up and you really sin, it ruins everything. It's like, a, it's like an octopus with many arms. It reaches out and touches many, many areas of our life when we sin. It's just, it ruins everything. I hate sin because sin ruins everything. When Adam and Eve sinned, it ruined the whole world. Sin ruins everything. But they not only, not only experienced alienation, but they also experienced condemnation. And and, and this condemnation radically altered their perception of God. Because it says, Adam said to God. See, God had said the three saddest words in the Bible. I think if if you were to say to me, Jeff, what what are the saddest words in the Bible? This would be among the top five. When God came in the garden and they weren't there. And he said, Adam, where are you? Because that's what he's saying to the whole human race now. Where are you? And you know where they are? They're hiding. They're hiding. Because sin makes you hide from God. And God had to literally say to his own creation, where are you? Why are you hiding from me? Where have you gone? What's the deal here? Why are you ducking and dodging me? Where are you? I think those are sad words. They 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 are plaintive words. They are they are filled with with pathos. Where are you? Where are you? Because let me interpret it. What has happened? What's happened to us? We had a good thing going on. What, what's going on here? What, what, what's happened? And Adam said, I heard your voice in the garden and I was afraid. Notice how it changed his perception of God. Whereas once Adam had only known love and adoration for God. Now there's this sense of condemnation And it broke all that because sin ruins everything. And sin breaks relationship. If you want to know what sin does, it always instantly affects relationships vertical and horizontal. It can't help it. That's what sin does. 
And he says, I was afraid of you. Now, that's not the good kind of fear where it says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. But it's, 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 um, um, it's the negative kind of fear. It's phobos is the original word. It means it's, we get phobia from it. It was a unhealthy, wrong kind of fear. He said, I'm, I was afraid of you. I was afraid of you. And God was saying, well, you've never been afraid of me before. Why are you afraid now? Well, because I, I, I sin and, and I'm afraid of what you're going to do to me now. I'm afraid you're going to judge me. I'm afraid of what the consequences are going to be. I'm afraid. And things haven't changed. Now, we all sin often enough. We just found out by a show of hands. James told the truth when he said, we all stumble in many things. Amen? Don't we? We all stumble in many things. So unless we repent and seek his forgiveness, we're going to experience alienation every time from him and fear of him. Now, let me tell you why that matters in spiritual warfare. Let me just give you a little illustration. Let's say that you're a soldier and we're on the battlefield and the battle is hot and raging and bullets are flying and missiles are flying and bombs are blowing up and you're in the middle of a war. The most important connection you have is with your commanding officer. It is crucial to keep the communication lines open because here's why. He sees what you don't see. He knows what you don't know. He knows what the enemy is doing in ways that you don't because he has, he has access to instruments and whatnot that tells him more than you could ever perceive in your own senses. So it is very important that you keep the communication lines open between you and your commanding officer that when you call, he answers and you got to know he's got your back. You got to know he's with you and not against you you got to know it. And if that communication line breaks down and you're on the walkie-talkie or whatever it is and you're trying to get him and all you get is static and you can't hear him and he can't direct you, you're in trouble on the battlefield. It's the same thing exactly with spiritual warfare. We've got to keep the communication lines open between us and the commanding officers. You know the Bible calls Jesus the captain. That's a military term. Captain of our salvation. So he he is our director on the battlefield of life. He sees what we don't see. He knows what we don't know. He knows what the enemy is up to, where he's going. He knows when we need to stop, when we need to go, when we need to turn right, when we need to turn left. He's aware of what we need. He sees the whole picture where we only see a part. We need him. And we need the communication lines open. We need to hear the voice of our commanding officer. And when we mess up and we sin and we don't, and we don't, clear the line, then it destroys that line of communication. Now listen to what John wrote. He said, dear friends, if we don't feel guilty, so here we're guilt-free through the blood. If we don't feel guilty, we can come to God with bold confidence and we will receive from him Whatever we ask, because we obey him and do the things that please him. Now, notice the connection. If we don't feel guilty, then we have boldness in the presence of God. Amen? If we don't feel guilty, guilt-free equates into boldness into the presence of God. That's why it says, let us therefore come boldly to the throne room of God, the throne of grace. That we might obtain mercy and find the grace to help us in the time of need. Well, how in the world can you come boldly if you're not guilt-free? You've got to be guilt-free. And then you come boldly. Man, I've got to tell you, folks, that's a prayer verse. And lately, 
I was telling the first service that lately the spirit of prayer has been coming upon me. Now, it's one thing to pray. Let me, just, let me tell you something. This is off the record. This is off my message, sort of. But let me tell you, there is a difference between, you know, having a prayer life, but then a, a spirit of prayer coming on you. And, and lately, and I don't know why, but it's been happening on Saturdays with me. And, and, and I've been in prayer on Saturday. And yesterday, the same thing happened as happened the week before. I was just praying about different things and taking my request to God and just talking to God about some things, frustrations and whatnot, normal human stuff. And all of a sudden, man, the spirit of prayer came on me. And it just, it just rolled over me. And, and, and I stood up. And, and, I, and I, I was in my bedroom. And here's my dogs. I chased them out again. If you were here last week, you know. And now I think they're leaving because maybe God's so strong in there, they know they should not stay. I don't know. But, but all of a sudden, the spirit of prayer came upon me. And I started. Now, don't take this as a sacrilegious statement. Because it's not meant to be that way. But I got in God's face. Now, now listen. It says, let us therefore come boldly. That does not mean, well, Lord, I just hope you're here to hear me and I hope you listen to what I've got to say because, golly, I mess up so much and I'm just such a miserable Christian. Gosh, Lord, I don't even know if you're going to answer my prayers. You don't come to God that way. No, it says when you're washed in the blood, then you are guilt-free. And that means you go into the presence, right? And so you get, as it were, in his face. You get in his face. And, and, and with me, it's been, Lord, I'm reminding you of the promises. I'm reminding you of the promises. There are great and precious promises. And, and I've reminded him, Lord, you promised this and you promised that. And I'm holding it up to you. And I am saying, I'm not going to quit until you come through, until you give me a breakthrough. I'm not going to let down. I'm going to pray until it happens. I'm going to pray until there is a breakthrough. I'm not going to back down, bend, bow, or break. I'm going to continue on in prayer. And the, the way you do that is washed in the blood of the Lamb. Because I'm guilt-free. And I think the Father wants us. You know, my little sister, my dad, was a real reclusive type guy. And, and so uh, every day, I, all I remember of him is he was in his easy chair, his lazy boy, with the newspaper up in his face. Now, there were four of us kids. My sister, June, the second girl, I was the firstborn and only boy. I had three little sisters. My sister, June, uh, was like we ought to be with God because he would, he would have his, his, his face behind that newspaper and, and all of us would just walk by him thinking, well, he doesn't want to bother with us. But my sister, June, would get in his lap and pull the paper down and grab his face and say, look at me. And you know, my dad loved that. Now, I'm not saying you got to grab God's face because he's already looking at you. But I'm talking about that's bold. She, she took that paper down. She looked at him in the eye and said, I'm talking to you. Amen. So guilt-free and boldness in God's presence go hand in hand. So that's why it's important to keep the communication lines free. Now, in, in light of the importance of keeping them free... Here's the second thing I want to say about it. We got to keep short accounts with God. Keep short accounts with God. Now, we all know that if you leave milk out too long, it's going to grow bad. We all know that if you leave bread out, it's going to get stale and it's going to get moldy. You know, I have a terrible memory. I have a terrible memory. See, when I was in elementary school, you know, you went through the cafeteria and you always got that little thing of milk. 
that little deal of milk. It wasn't near enough, but it was a little thing of milk, like a half pint, an eighth of a pint, whatever it was. But I remember one day, you know, I always loved to drink that milk and have, you know, whatever they, they gave. I was always hungry. And, but I remember opening up this milk, and I remember throwing it back before I could think about what I was doing. And I had taken a great big swallow before I realized it was chunky. (laughs) It was already going down. There's no taste like it. And I'm not going to tell you the rest of the story. Let's just suffice it to say I had a very primal reaction. Now, let me give you an illustration you're never going to forget. That's what unconfessed sin is to God. It's like chunky milk. The Bible teaches that unconfessed sin should have a very brief shelf life. Milk has a shelf life. You can't leave it out for too long. Bread has a shelf life. So does unconfessed sin. You know what the shelf life of unconfessed sin is? Very short. Because it goes chunky. It works against you. It grows moldy. It is, like, it is like bad milk in the mouth of God. Since a clear conscience is needed for spiritual victory, doesn't it make sense that the sooner we get rid of the sin, the better? I'm not talking about sinless perfection. I'm not talking about never making a mistake. I'm saying when we do, then we need to take it to God quickly because, listen, here's how it gets chunky. Here's how unconfessed sin gets chunky. Unconfessed sin will dull your conscience. And harden your heart. Now, we're talking about a clear conscience today. Having it clear with God. Well, see, if you keep your conscience clear, you immediately discern right from wrong. You're immediately sensitive to God's promptings and convictions. You immediately pick up on God talking to you. Your conscience is clear and sharp like a sharp steak knife. But when our conscience gets dull, it's because unconfessed sin is going chunky. Without confessing sin quickly, what bothers you today will hardly phase you tomorrow. Have you ever noticed that? Yeah. You know, you, you tell a, a lie and say, well, here's, you know, well, it wasn't a bad lie. It was a white lie. Or it was gray. But it wasn't a terrible lie. But then the next time you go to lie, isn't it easier? And then it's easier and easier. And then before you know it, you're lying all the time. And it doesn't even make you blink. You, you know, I'm amazed at how people these days go on the news and look you in the eye. And you know they're lying to you. Can I say politicians? <laughs> and, and you know they're lying to you. And, but they'll look right in the camera and, and lie to millions of people and go home and go to bed. But listen, you shouldn't be able to do that. It ought to bug you. Amen. It ought to convict you. And and I want a sharp conscience. I want to know when I have grieved God, when I've offended God, when I have transgressed my conscience, because I know that I will wage a good warfare if my conscience is clear. And I want to win. Jesus talked about this. Jesus said, he was talking to, to the people of his day, and he's quoting Isaiah. He says, the heart of this people have grown dull. Their ears are hard of hearing. And their eyes they have closed. 
Now, I want you to notice what all was affected. Heart, eyes, and ears. Now, that's spiritually speaking. Your spiritual heart, your spiritual eyes, and your spiritual ears are all affected by unconfessed sin. It goes chunky on you. That's how it goes chunky. That's how it curdles. That's how it goes moldy. That's how it gets stale. Your, your conscience, when it's not clear, dull hearts, deaf ears, blind eyes. I can't sense God's conviction anymore. I can't hear God's voice anymore. I can't see God's truth anymore. That's the danger of, a, of an unclear conscience. How many of you can say, I'm seeing the importance now of a clear conscience? Come on. Come on, everybody. Give me an amen. Amen. I want to know if you're hearing me today. This is so important. See, if you're going to win, if you're going to thrive, survive and thrive in a, in a devil-infested, sin-infected world, you've got to keep your conscience clear. Jeremiah the prophet noted that the entire nation of Israel, the whole nation, had grown deaf to God's voice. Everybody, he says, everyone, that's everyone, is dull-hearted without knowledge. Isaiah said the same thing. The hearts of this people have grown dull. Their ears are hard of hearing. He's talking about spiritually. We've all noticed that when we travel, the further we get away from our favorite radio station, the harder it is to hear it until finally it's staticky. And the only time that you hear it, you get up on a hill and you pick it up again, but then you go down and you lose it again. And before long, you can't hear it. And that's all you get. But then when you turn around and head back home, you head back home. When you start heading back home like the prodigal headed back home, he wasn't hearing his father's voice in the far country. He was hearing the voice of strangers. But when he headed back home, there was the father meeting him with the father's voice. And when you head back home, the signal gets clear again. And we begin to hear the voice again when we get our conscience clear. I've noticed that when I repent, I hear God's voice again. Immediately, I begin to hear God's voice again. The Word talks to me again. The Spirit convicts me again. We're talking about survival gear. The tools that God has given us to keep it together, to survive and thrive in a fallen and demon-infested world, a daily time in God's Word, a daily time in prayer, keeping fellowship with the saints when they meet together, and keeping a clear conscience. If we'll do those things, then we will win. We will be the head and not the tail, above and not beneath. We will be more than conquerors, but you've got to do what it says. Now, the last part is the best part. The third key to keeping your conscience clear is have confidence in a forgiving God. Would you believe me if I told you that God wants to forgive you more than you want him to forgive you? Would you believe me if I told you that God wants to forgive you more than you want him to forgive you? Would you believe me if I told you that? Did you know that the Bible shows and reveals a God who constantly calls us to experience his forgiveness in all kinds of incredible Bible verses, he says, I want you to come to me and experience my forgiveness. I'm not out to crush you. I'm not out to hurt you. I'm not out to stomp on you. I'm, I don't have a furrowed brow and a mean face and steam coming out my ears. And I'm just sitting there waiting for you to make a mistake so I can squash you like a bug. That is not God. That's what the devil tells us God is like. And the devil is a liar. He's a liar. He lies about God. 
He constantly calls us to experience forgiveness. He says in the Bible, I've already quoted it, but it's worth quoting again, let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive his mercy, and we will find grace to help when we need it the most. That's a promise. I've noticed through the years of pastoring that there are two kinds of people. When they mess up, one person breaks away from God. They say, he's mad at me. I messed up. I'm getting out of church, getting out of the word. There are people that are not in church today because they're under condemnation because they messed up. The devil has lied to them. He has said to them, who are you to go to that house where all those Christians are because you're such a hypocrite. He just doesn't know that we all mess up. So so if you're afraid having messed up of coming and being with us, come on, we've, we've messed up with you. Come and be with us mess ups. Come back. Get back into the house of God. Amen. We've all messed up. You know, I, I, I used to think calling God the God of the second chance was, was cool. Yeah, he's the God of the second chance. Hey, I don't like that anymore. Listen, if he's only the God of the second chance, I used that up a long time ago. No, I, I need a God of the thousandth chance, of the millionth chance. I need the God of the infinite chances. Amen? I want you to say with me, he always forgives. Man, if he was only the God of the second chance, I'd have been way, way back there waiting for the third chance. Oh, no. Thank God he forgives. He forgives. He forgives. When we sin, the devil invades our thoughts and he whispers, God's done with you. You've really messed up this time. Don't even bother with God anymore because he's not bothering with you. The devil's a liar. He's a liar. Here's what God is actually saying to you when you mess up. Come now and let us reason together says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall be like wool. Listen to the heart of the Heavenly Father there. Come let us reason together means, come let's talk about it. Let's sit down and talk about it. You messed up. Okay, you messed up. Well, what are you going to do with it? Well, let's reason together. My son shed his blood for you. Let the blood cover your sin. Let's reason together. Let's talk about it. There's no reason for you to stop and stay here. You don't need to build your house on your failure. Your your failure does not decide or define your future. I want you to know, he says, come on, let's talk about your sin. Let's talk about it. Sit down with me. Let's talk about it. Let's reason together. I took care of it when Jesus died on the cross. I don't want you to sit here and soak and sour. I've got a call on you. I've got a purpose for you. I've got a design for you. There is no reason for you to give up and walk away. Come on, let's talk about it. Let's talk about it. Daniel said, the Lord of our our God is merciful. He pardons even those who have rebelled against him. Micah said, I love Micah's boasting of a forgiving God. He says, where is another God like you? It's a rhetorical question. There's not one who pardons the sin of his people. You cannot stay angry with your people. For you love to be merciful. Some people think he loves to be mean. No, he loves to be merciful. You will tread our sins. I like this. You will tread our sins beneath your feet. God takes your sins when you confess them. They're on the ground. He stomps on them. He's got your sins under his feet. But then he picks them up. And look what it says he does. He throws them into the depths of the ocean where they are irretrievably gone. Amen. Amen. We've got a lawyer in heaven who's free and doesn't charge by the hour. 
His name is Jesus. John said, if you sin, therefore, or there is somebody to plead for you before the Father, his name is Jesus Christ, the one who is all that is good and who pleases God completely. When we mess up, Jesus goes before the Father as our attorney in heaven and says, I know they messed up, but they believe in me. My blood has covered their sin. And God says, acquitted, 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 forgiven. Jesus has a 100% success rate in heaven's court. Church, God is in us. He's with us. Listen, he's for you. And if we'll go to him, he will forgive. Amen. Can we stand together? Say, oh, Jeff, I don't know if he can forgive me. Really? Is your sin greater than the blood? But you don't know what I've done. I don't need to know what you've done. His blood is greater than any sin, any transgression. And if you have fallen repeatedly, he will repeatedly forgive. He's a good God. He's a merciful God. Amen? Go ahead and give the Lord praise. Amen. Lord's putting a word in my heart. Let's bow. I don't know who this is for, but I'm going to say it. You have not sinned beyond repair. You have not gone so far that his arm cannot reach you. The Lord is calling you to himself. To avail yourself of his blood. To avail yourself of his mercy. The enemy has beat you down and stomped on you and isolated you and gotten you away from God and from his people. And you have believed that your time is done, that you are up, that your best is behind you. And that is not true, says the Lord. I have my call on your life, my purpose for your life, and I have not given up on you. Do not listen to the voice of the enemy. Listen to my voice. I am with you. I am in you. I am for you. I am calling you to repent and experience my restoration and my love and my goodness and my power and my healing. If you come to me, I will restore the relationships that have been damaged. And I will do a new thing in your life, says the Lord. Shall you not know it? I'm going to make a way in the wilderness for you. And I'm going to give springs in the desert for you. And I'm going to shut the enemy's mouth over what I do in your life, says the Lord. Amen. Amen, 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 amen.